partner everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Servants, be subjects to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while he is suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He himself committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but in continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Peter apparently is on action. He wants to carry on um, encouraging the people. Now, the words, the words that he is using um, may, may sound a bit harsh, and we're going to work through them today. But I've, I've, I've called this sermon today, um, as you see it on your uh, order of service, I think it's a mark of discipleship. And we're going to talk about things that come with this mark of discipleship called submission. is service, is suffering, and all things that come because of that. Um, as we know, the context of Peter and the, the congregation or the people that he is addressing is not a pleasant one. We know as well that the, the authorities under they, which they live is the Roman Empire, which, which we know from history, um, the Jews could not stand. And somehow the Roman Empire had come to the conclusion that Judaism and Christianity relate to one another. We put them in the same box. Later on in the beginning of the first century, we hear that um, Christian church was being accused of being against the state. Now, let's, let's remember who is writing this. Peter, he's a learned man. Authorities, submission, 
I just wanted to start this sermon with the illustration of Peter himself when Jesus was arrested. He could not stand the fact that these people in authority had come to arrest his leader. And off he goes and chops somebody's ear. We're going to see a different side of Peter later on. But now he's writing with his pastoral heart because he knows that submission, it's a tough task. Because he's being surrounded by people who do not like them. That's why in verse 11, Bexie reminded us last week, he's referring to the diaspora, to the Christians, as exiles and sojourns. Pilgrims. Now, we come, we come to this term, submission. And before I go into detail, I just wanted to start saying that submission is not an easy term for us to swallow. But I want to start from a good place. I want to start that submission is a Trinitarian idea. If we read the Gospels, we see Jesus all over again, through and through, saying, I have come here to do my Father's will. My return, only my Father's knows. My Father knows. It's this connection. And then we know of the Holy Spirit that is submissive to the Father and the Son. So with this in mind, I'd like for us to explore a little bit more the idea of submission. Now, why is it such a hard word for us to to grasp? Why is it such a hard word um, for us to, to, to swallow? I remember when I was in the Navy for a year, one of the first things that they told us was orders are not to be discussed, they're to be obeyed. And the, well, the Navy service was 12 months and if there was something that I struggled with throughout my whole time there was this phrase. And I know why. Because it's in our nature that we do not like people to tell us what to do. Even my 10 months old girl doesn't like me to tell her not to go up the stairs. It's the, it's the Adam inside us that likes to rebel. Also, I think, pride. Pride comes part as, a, as a part of our package, of our human nature. And if we're talking about rebellion, and if we're talking about pride, we're talking about this thing called sin. And sin is against God. 
Now, I don't want to be harsh on the word submission because I know on the other hand, sometimes it's very hard to come to terms with it. Come again to my Navy story, I know that I was witnessing and I was seeing that the authorities who were giving orders, they were abusing with their power. They were abusing with their authority that was given to them. And of course, this, this mistrust causes this friction and causes this tendency to go against the flow. When we talk about submission, and especially when it comes to submission to authorities, when what Peter is going to share later on on the verses, we also don't have a good view from the influence of the media. I think we, we, we tend to listen to the news, which is more likely to be bad news. And things that are really going well, we hear very little or hardly ever. Let's go to the text. With the context of being pilgrims, with the context of Peter saying to, to the diaspora, to, to the people that are spread, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Uh, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Once you're not a people, but now you're God's people. Now you have received mercy when you before didn't have mercy. With this in mind, Peter is going to say some practicalities that were very up-to-date for, for the current diaspora, where they were doing, and maybe we can draw some principles and applications for ourselves this morning. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it's the emperor, a supreme, or the governors, and sent by him. Um, I was reading the message, this passage on the message, and read this, this really, the, the, the way Peterson has translated this verse is very interesting. It says, make the master proud by being good citizens. Now, again, let's go back to history. Peter, you read about these debates, whether it was Claudius or Nero, the emperor, it doesn't matter, that's not the point. But let's go back to history. The emperors, whether Claudius or Nero, they were both nasty men. Pontius Pilate, later on, he was one of the governors. He didn't do anything. So with these pictures in mind, Peter has got the guts to come to that place of saying, not because they deserve it, not because they are worth it, because I've been there, not because they're good men, but for the Lord's sake. This is the foundation. This is the foundation. And 
over and over again, you're going to read about this, the will of God. Peter cannot disconnect the idea of submission. He cannot disconnect it from the perspective of God. Nero, Claudius, they don't deserve submission. No any other authorities deserve submission. But somehow, there is a bigger authority who rules them out, and that's the Lord's authority. Make the master proud by being good citizens. Submission. From verse 13 to 16, I've written, Submitting to authorities for the Lord's sake is God's will, and his people are free to serve God. Now, it's not easy for me to say these words, and I'm not, I'm not saying them with great enthusiasm. But it's very clear that Peter is very passionate about free, but in the same time, we are bond servants of God. As individuals, as human beings, we are free, not under legal obligation, freeborn, able to move on our own and come and go as we please. But as Christians, that Lord's sake, as Christians, we willfully exchange our independence for servanthood under God and the authorities that he sets before us. And we do, when we do this exchange, exchangement, we're free to serve the Lord in all the ways that are consistent with his word, in all the ways that are consistent with his will, in all the ways that are consistent with his nature, and all the ways that are consistent with his holiness. I, I reminded you earlier on saying that uh, we will see a different part, different side of P, Peter. In Acts chapter 5, do you remember the, 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 the apostles have just been commissioned to go and preach the gospel in the whole world? They're doing a great job. Peter has been preaching. In Acts chapter 5, they're being stopped to preach the gospel. And Peter is the one that says, it is better to obey God than man. So, it may sound contradictory, but it's not. Because what we're saying here is that submission to authorities is what Peter is urging us as long as it doesn't contradict God's word 
God's will, God's nature, God's holiness. And in fact, he's urging, he's urging people, please consider this seriously. And then it goes on with a stronger word. Verse 15, it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing so, you should put the silence to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, this ignorance of foolish people was nothing new from Peter. It was nothing new for the diaspora. They were all struggling with this. They were being persecuted. They were having a hard time with different things. And um, they were suffering hatred. This, this, this ignorance of foolish people may have caused them to, to disagree for major things. Sometimes we see it in the New Testament that people had been misinformed. And because they had been misinformed, they immediately put a, a label on the Christians, which again led to stereotyping. And sometimes this ignorance of foolish people was defined by um, personal attacks that um, Paul, Peter, other people who, who were that they you're out of jealousy. And wh when I thought about this, I thought, hmm, nothing has changed, has it? One of the things that I struggled the most when I first came to England was how much bad press or how much people don't like to talk about Christians. And um, seven years ago, I, I went to an Anglican church and I was asked to come in the front and um, encourage the church uh, to say, well, they said, what is one sentence that you've got to tell us as a church in England? Um, and I don't know why I said this, but I said, go back to your old roots. And I still say that. But I say it with a different perspective now. I've been here for three and a half years. Whenever we talk about Christians or God fears in my country, there is a lot of respect going on. For example, if I got stopped by the police in the road to check my car papers, and I said, I'm a church leader, that will be my first sentence. He would not even go to check my car papers because he knows that I'm a God-fearer. I go to church. I think I'll have a different experience here. But I'm saying this example because I want for us to draw our attention to this. Because 
I think with this stereotyping, a lot of Christians who are doing what Peter is urging, they're all generalized in one package. And is, my question is, is there something that we can do to change that? How strong are we as God's church to come to terms with the reality that this is the will of God and the will of God is for us to be carrying on doing good in order that we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Yes, maybe we've gone through hatred, disagreement, disinformation, personal issues, stereotyping, but is there something that we as a church of God can do? And this is not an advert for Christianity. This is something that we do as a church, what Peter is asking us to do it, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. And the reason why he's asking that, he's going to carry on and develop that in the the next verses. But he's so passionate about this sake, this fame, this, this reputation of Christ. And then he's going to be a little bit more practical and he's going to go into more details which, when I read them, I was a bit uncomfortable. So as pilgrims, he, Peter, urges the church to carry on doing the will of God. Verse 17 says, this is the practicalities of this will of God. There are four imperatives in that sentence. It's honor, let me read it, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, for those of you who are into languages, the first imperative is an aorist. The other three imperatives are present tense. I was reading on the commentaries, and one of the versions that came was that if the first imperative, the honor everyone, is in the aorist, it means that the action is finished. It's a general one. And the other three are present because those are the specific ones that Peter wants to address. And by addressing those, this is how we come to terms with honoring everyone. So honor everyone. Verse 17 again. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Treat everyone (coughs) with dignity even if you know that you disagree 
with um, this is hard one. It's a hard one for me. Treat everyone with dignity, even if you know that you disagree with them. I went to a, f a Muslim funeral five years ago in Albania, and usually they, um, the, the dead bodies kept overnight at home. And this was the uncle of our landlord that we were staying. And uh, um, the landlord had a very committed um, Muslim brother. We had a lot of conversations, a lot of disagreements. Um, but, I mean, very friendful disagreement. We didn't have a war or anything. Um, then the uncle passed away. I went to this funeral, and because the bodies kept overnight, people who want to stay overnight and keep company of the family, they, they can stay. So I did that. And one of the guys in the room was this guy. And uh, the next day, he really told, he was really impressed that a Christian guy would have the guts to stay in such a room. And he made the point, and he said, uh, he said, I have, I've come to the conclusion, he said, by your way that you have honored my family. Of course, it's a shame and honor culture as well. He said, I've come to the conclusion that there is something about your Christianity that I admire. And, I mean, this is not an example to, to make me feel good about it. But it's, it's the point when you show honor and respect to everyone. People come to terms and they see a different thing of the stigma that they hear every time. Fear God. Fear God, love or honor the emperor. Now, when it comes to politics, I didn't want to politicize the sermon. And I spoke to Richard Taylor a little bit on Tuesday evening about this. Because one of the staggering things this week has been the death of Thatcher. And has been very, I mean, I have totally been ignorant about Margaret Thatcher until I went to Facebook and read all sorts of comments, until I met different people, and they had all different views about her. Now, I come from a country with very bad politicians myself. We have a dictator, the current prime minister. He is not my favorite one. He's not my cup of tea. I don't drink tea. He's not my cup of coffee either. Uh, but Peter says, honor the emperor. And on the other book in, in the New Testament, Paul encourages church. Actually, Paul commands the churches to pray for those who are in authority. When was the last time I prayed for the Prime Minister of this country? When was the last time I prayed for the Prime Minister of my country? Maybe you do. You're very faithful with it. But it's very hard to come to terms with the reality that some people that we have to pray for, that we have to intercede for, are not our favorite people. And yet, Peter, 
urges, encourages the people, the diaspora, who, who are really having a hard time, that in the midst of their hard time and persecution, somehow they have to come to that place that for the Lord's sake, they have to honor the emperor. Love the brotherhood is another tough one. Within churches, and one thing that I've noticed here in the past three and a half years in England is that denominations are very passionate. They're very passionate. Proud of being Anglican, proud of being Baptist, proud of being Presbyterian, proud. And you don't read about this in the scriptures. Yes, I am a Baptist minister. I cannot deny that. I've got my biblical principles for that. But there is no way that I am going to not share communion with somebody from a different denomination. And I've heard that happens. Well, I've heard that also happened in Albania as well. But it's very strange that we call ourselves Christians. And yet, when it comes to denominations, I see that college all the time. I'm part of that conversation. We have got this division. We are the bad ones. They are not so good ones. And yet, Jesus, in John 17, prays for the followers, for the disciples, to be one so the world may see that the Father has sent Jesus Let's go to the second part of the passage. Servants. Some translations have got it slaves. And the, 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 the Greek word here used in verse 18, it's the house servants. So, to come and talk about house servants um, in, in a city that has been involved in the past with slavery, it's very hard. And we talk about justice, and we pray for people, and we intercede. But how servants had, they were a step further up from the normal slaves. Because these were people who were hired to do only housework. And in those days, in Peter's days, people would even choose to take this position as a job. Maybe they've been bankrupt, maybe they've been um, in debt, maybe they were doing things, maybe they were in desperate need to provide for their family. So they would give themselves for a quite amount, 10 something years to do this job. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 is that if you are in a position to come out of this house servant service, if you're in the position to come from bondage of slavery, do it. So there's no way that Peter is promoting slavery here. But what Peter is saying is that even in those darkest places, servants, again, for the Lord's sake, 
be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the not so good and gentle ones. For this is a gracious thing. Actually, the, the word ESV uses is the unjust masters. This, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter knows very well what is going on. Peter knows very well because he, he, he's part of the community. He knows the struggles. But yet he says, he, bring, he brings God in again. This is a gracious thing. He's not saying it's an easy thing. Peter is not writing that this is the done thing. It's not something that you do it with all, you know, passion and wholeheartedness. It's, it's a gracious thing that, again, mindful of God, that term for the Lord's sake, having God in the picture, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then he was going to go and talk about two kinds of suffering. One is the deserved one, and it says that if you do something wrong, why would you not get beaten for it? You reap what you sow. And the second one is the unjust one, the person who endures sorrows, who is suffering, where, where the situation is very undeserved, it's very critical, it's abusive where this person has become the victim of suffering. It's very interesting what the world takes on suffering. You read about suffering and you say, well, it happens. And Peter wants to do something a little bit more with suffering. And nobody likes to suffer. But Peter says, I know that it's very hard. But God, put God in the picture. Be mindful of God. Because in verse 21, this is what you have been called to. I I get very angry when I hear gospel presentation messages that just describe the Christian life as something very, very, very exciting and nothing bad is going to happen. Yes, it is true. It is exciting. We become from enemies to children of God. We receive the gift of eternal life. We've got a lot of things that we've gotten because of Jesus. But yet, we don't want to become unpopular by saying that the mark of a disciple is suffering. 
And I'm afraid that sometimes, as Christians as well, we live in the denial of it. I've just come back from Nepal. And in one of the conversations that I had with one of the uh, students from the Bible college there was, he said to me, I don't mind if I die tomorrow. Do you? I was like, hmm. And things that were going in my mind, I, I started listening, listing. Says, really, he said, we've been going through so much suffering here, and death is easy. I was like, ooh, okay, fine. God, what have you got to tell me here? And different people experience different levels of suffering. But yet, we cannot live in denial of it. We can't live as Christians and not acknowledge the fact that we're going through suffering. And somehow, in his sovereignty, God is allowing it. And when I say this, with, with all honesty, I'm, I'm aware of different situations that you lot are in. We've talked about people struggling with um, employers, NHS. We, we, we talked about people struggling with Ofsteds, with all these other things, demands from authorities. And uh, we talked about people who struggle with you know, their um, bosses, and they're really being mistreated at the workplace. I'm not saying this lightly. And to be honest, I'd rather, I'd rather not say anything from my side, but let the Word of God speak. And Peter says, suffering is one of the marks of discipleship. Do you know why? And we, the first song we sang was, was, was brilliant because it was, it was connected with what Peter wants to take us. Suffering is a mark of discipleship because Christ himself suffered. I don't know how many of you have watched the film The Passion passion of Christ. Um, many people don't like it because it's very descriptive. Um, me being a rebellious one, I've liked it because it is very descriptive. And it's, a, it's an eye-opener of probably 5-10% of what real happened in real life to Jesus. One fascinating thing about the film is that when the when it comes to the point of the cross, of Jesus being nailed, the hand of the person who is nailing the, the nail on Jesus' arms is Mel Gibson's real hand. Because he said that I was one of those people who crucified the Lord. And again, let's go, let's go back to the passage. Said, said, 
This is what you have been called to because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. He left you an example. He suffers, verse 22, even though when he committed no sin. He suffered even though there was no deceit found in his mouth. He suffered even though he was reviled. He did not revile back in return. But when he suffered, he did not threaten. And the example is this one. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the Lord that we serve. This is Jesus that we've put our trust in. This is Christ who is calling each each and every one of us into this road of discipleship. And it's the same Christ who left the example and yet calls people that if you want to be my disciple, Matthew 9, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to pick up his cross daily and follow me. Peter has got a lot of straightforward thinking and a lot of um, straightforward black and white words to say. Believe me you, I didn't sit comfortable reading this passage. But in the end of the day, this is the word of God. And this is the word of God that I prayed in the beginning that will never come to him void. So, my encouragement to you today, I'm not coming as an expert on the whole idea of dealing with authorities and submission. I'm coming to you as one of those people that struggle the most with submission. Yet, I know that this is what God requires of his people. I'm one of those people that struggle with suffering. Yet I know that the Christian path is a path marked with suffering. But one good thing that I want to leave you with is that as body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, thank God that we are not walking this path alone. Thank God that we've got the Holy Spirit that indwells within us. Thank God that he has created this thing called church, this community of people who come up with very similar stories. And we can share how we can help one another. Thank God that in this path of discipleship, we've got his word. 
I want to leave you with the idea that when you think of this passage this week, when you come across those tendencies, well, those, the frictions of submitting to authorities, when you come across suffering and an injustice, let's do what Peter says. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Let's pray. Lord, it's so hard to come to terms with whatever Peter is urging us this morning. My human nature doesn't, doesn't sit well with it, Lord. Doesn't sit well with submission. Doesn't sit well with suffering. Doesn't sit well with injustice. But yet, Lord, we know that you have called us as your disciples to pick up our cross daily and follow you. And thank you, Father, that your grace is much bigger than my failings. Thank you that your mercy surpasses understanding. And we commit this week to you, Lord. And if we come to these places, wherever you're going to take us, Lord, please grant us the strength, grant us the energy, grant us the umph, grant us the um, excitement, Lord, to live as free people, but yet as bond servants of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray.